I want to welcome you back to the Coaching Kernan Show. Uh, with us today, we've got Ted Kubiak. Uh, I've had some great conversations with him off the air. Phenomenal, phenomenal infield coach. Obviously has a wealth of knowledge about every area of the game. But uh, Ted played for in Major League Baseball from 1967 to 1976, member of the Oakland A's, originally Kansas City A's when he was brought up. Is part of the dynasty, the Oakland A's dynasty, that won back-to-back-to-back World Series. Uh, played also with Milwaukee, with St. Louis, with Texas, with San Diego. Debuted, as I mentioned, in 67 as a player with Kansas City. 16 seasons in professional baseball. Also spent 21 seasons as a skipper. Managed over 2,300 games uh, in baseball. Uh, managed Modesto uh, for five seasons uh, in the Oakland organization before moving to the Indians for 18 seasons. You can find him on Old School Baseball MVP. Uh, that's his website. Uh, also, uh, an author, book out Old School, which I read in one sitting. Um, wonderful book. And just now in the process, of, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, uh, Ted, but in the process of writing an in-depth view on fielding. And as, as I was reading it last night for the second time, uh, I was, he was kind enough to send me some excerpts from it to, to look at. My wife asked me, she said, what are you so in-depth reading? And, and this is not blasphemous in any way, so I apologize in advance. But I looked at it and said, this is the new Bible right here. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful book. It's depth over breadth. I mean, it goes deep into fielding. But uh, Ted, welcome to the show. Uh, uh, we're glad, Kevin and I are glad you could join us. Thank you, Dave. And appreciate the, you having me on here, Kevin. Good to talk to you again. Always great, Ted. And uh, I, I know Dave's got a million questions, but I want to jump in real quick. Uh, with one simple question, because as you can tell from our show, we love to help the young ball player get better. Right. And, um, you know, again, the book is phenomenal, old school. People people need to get it. For Tony LaVusa's uh, intro, if nothing else. But, uh, you know, let me tell you something about Tony. Tony yeah. took a year to write that intro for me. <laughs> I believe it because it's, it's took phenomenal. A year for, and I'm telling you, I can't tell you the number of times that he called me to make sure that he was saying what I wanted him to say. And I told him, I said, Tony, I want you to say whatever you want to say. So exactly. all his words. Well, and then, and that's just the beginning. I mean, the information you have is incredible, but I want to start on something simple. Tell me a little bit about squeezing a rubber ball, how that helped you become a better player and, and, and things like that. Oh, interesting, Kevin. Of course, we're both old guys, I guess. So that's probably why you're saying that, but you know, when I started, there was nothing. And like you said in the last segment, there were no weights or anything. I mean, the old the old uh, rubber ball was the one thing that I would squeeze because everything I heard back then was, well, make your hands strong, make your forearms strong. And they had that uh, apparatus that you could make where you used like a broomstick and you put a hole in it and you tied a weight onto it and you would roll it up and down. Those are the only things that I ever used to strengthen myself. And I never did enough, apparently, because I was never really that good a hitter, and I didn't have any, uh, you know, real power. But uh, that rubber ball was one of the mainstays back then. Simple truth, but great truth, and uh, and and a kid can do it at any time. And uh, and the uh, you know that and that's some of the beauty of old school. But you also, uh, I, I you you talk about the analytical approach is more corporate like, and I think that you were way ahead of the game on this because you you know you talked about how you love playing in your decades, 60s and 70s. What was that like with that experience uh, and also the friendships you made and, and the, the camaraderie? 
You know, I've always thought about that era being the best era in baseball. I know other people have said that. I mean, you know, you make you try to make a comparison with the guys today. And, of course, they're bigger and they're stronger. And, you know, they can do some things acrobatically that we couldn't do even, you know. So there are some great players, but there's not as many as many good ones, I guess, overall. But playing with those guys back then, of course, you're playing with the same team, the same different teams every year. You, there were not many guys that made a team from year to year. You know, they bring up many rookies. Nowadays, you see maybe 40 guys that are on a club during a season, and guys are getting injured so much, you know, they're not on, they have to change their rosters, and they don't want guys to get hurt, so they don't play them. I mean, back then, it was guys playing through all the pain, and everybody had pain. Everybody was hurt. You know, you talk about pitchers, and they'll tell you that their arms were killing them, and they still went out and threw the ball. Uh, it was just a great era. I mean, it just, you know, you you know it, Kevin. You experience it. I think you understand what I'm talking about. The game is just not that anymore. It's just not that. Ted, talk about, I, I got a chance to read excerpts of the new book, and I, I'm, I don't want to skip back and forth, but I, I really was taken by how deep you got into just fielding a ground ball. And I mentioned to you offline that it had an impact on something I showed my son right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned, and I, and I shared this with, with a guest question mm-hmm. early, in your book, you mentioned that subtle lateral movement um, when a fielder's uh, about to you know, field a ground ball. I want you to touch on that and also touch on your teaching method, how, you know, all these coaches are using drill, 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 and your, your approach is a little bit different. Well, um, I don't know how I came to recognize that drills don't work. The only thing I know is that I guess I go back to how I taught myself to field the ground ball. I was a high school shortstop. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. Went to spring training my first year, and I knew my footwork was not, my footwork was not correct. Didn't know what it was. Well, the scout that signed me, Tom Giordano at the time, happened to be in spring training. And he saw me one day, and he corrected my footsteps. And it was a simple thing. The simple, the simple thing was that when I fielded the ground ball, I did not have my left foot forward the way it should have been. I had my right foot forward. I don't, I don't really remember what I was doing. But that simple thing made the change. So when I started the season, I realized that, man, I'm going to have to learn something about this. So what I did is I made a study of not so much every ground ball, you know, to watch the bounces and all of that. I mean, that's, that, that's something that you just do naturally. But I wanted to know what did I have to do in order to take charge of the ground ball. I didn't want the ground ball taking charge of me. And that was one of my premises. The other premise that I went after was that I was never going to let a ball take a bad hop on me. And that was my, um, I had to take care of that. You know, I was the one in charge, you know. I mean, you can get a bad hop from the field itself, but I should never have another bad hop affect me in any way. And that was all up to me and how I maneuvered for the ball. So what I did is I paid attention to what I was doing when I was fielding ground balls during my practice sessions. My, my sessions would last probably 20 to 30 minutes, and I always took ground balls by myself. I didn't like anybody being with me because it kind of messed up my concentration. So what I was doing when I was um, fielding ground balls, I was paying attention to what my body was doing. How was I moving my head? 
How was I moving my upper body weight? What kind of stride was I taking? Was it short? Should it have been longer? Did I need to change the angle of my foot, the way it was landing? Uh, did I need to change the angle that I was making, taking off for the ground ball? So all of that stuff is what I started studying. And surprisingly, it made fielding the ground ball so much easier. I began to understand what it was my body had to do in order to help me better field everything. And from there, it just went on and on and on. And then when I started coaching, and I had been out of the game for 12 years, and I started coaching, nobody was talking about any of this stuff. Hitting at wow. the time was getting to be um, scrutinized. Um, some of the batting instructors that uh, they ran when I first got back in the game were starting to talk about different things. But nobody talked differently about fielding. And I was a little bit of hes- I was a little hesitant. You know, Tony was managing at the time in the big leagues. And I remember being a little, a little intimidated by going to the camp and working with some of the big league infielders at the time. How were they going to feel with what I'm making them do? Well, Tony thought it was great. So it was just something that, that, that I continued. And when I started teaching in the minor leagues, I just saw that it had to be done. I remember telling myself one day, I said, this is ridiculous. I can't. These guys aren't teaching anybody anything. I've got to do what I think is right. And I, I, I took off and I just, you know, I worked on things. I got to the point where, and it didn't happen overnight, of course, but I think I could look at any infielder right now and tell you what he's doing wrong. I mean, there's a reason for every error. There's a reason for every bobble. Something has gone wrong with the infielder's approach, a movement, a step, a lean, you know, an aggressiveness, you know, and we go back to that lateral movement, Dave, that you started with. I just discovered that once you get, you've got to get in front of the ball and what you call get squared up to it so that the ball is coming to you on a perpendicular line. That's the best way to feel the ball. You don't have to hustle. You don't have to hurry. It puts you in a better position to be balanced and under control. And it makes the play so much easier. You're not losing any time because you're actually putting yourself in a better position to get your throw off and have the throw be stronger because your footwork's going to be solid. You're going to be totally in control of yourself. So that was my method. I mean, it was a method that I, I proved. Uh, hang on. Sorry about that. It was a method that I found to help all kinds of guys. I mean, I would tell guys in, at AAA some things, and they said, oh, my God, nobody ever told me that before. But th- there, were, there were ways of correcting everybody. And, of course, when I taught, you know, when, when you run drills, Everybody goes through a drill and they, they do the same thing. There's little differences and little nuances, of course, because of the different athleticisms that, that the athletes have. But I taught by adapting the player's athleticism to what the intent of the drill was. So in other words, I'm teaching everybody how to get squared up to the ball. I'm teaching them how to get into the triangular fielding position. But I can't tell each guy the same thing because they have different body types. They don't move the same way. They're not as flexible. You know, they just take different strides. They, they don't bend over the same way. They just don't have these agility. So I was able to adapt my style to each individual infielder. And all I can say is I think it helped a lot of guys. Well, I like two things with it. One, it's I think it's safe to say that you know out there there's there's drill coaches, but you're more of a skill coach, 
And I, from our talk the other day, you're self-taught, um, you know, and, and I think that goes a long way with having the self-reliance to. Well, nobody studies the game. That's the problem with it. You know, I mean, nobody really sits down and wants to really look at. I'd, I'd sit in meetings. I mean, the meetings we would have, you know, you know, and I'm starting to talk about some things that I want to teach, teach my infielders. And, and pretty soon they're just changing the subject. You know, it's like they didn't even understand what I was talking about. After a while, I just gave up. I did my own thing on the field with the players. I can't tell you the number of times that I was told not to work the players anymore. You know, we're going back to injuries again and, you know, the fact that they're tired and, you know, they don't want them to be overworked. I mean, that's where the game is today. You know, they're so afraid of telling the players anything. It's amazing to me. I don't, I don't get it. Because every, and Dave, I think we talked the other day, players want to be told what to do. They don't know. None of my infielders knew how good they can be. And I told every one of them, I said, I'm going to show you what you're capable of doing. Now, that didn't mean they were going to all be major league infielders, but I was going to get them to the point that uh, that was going to be their best. Now, that may have only been a double-A level. It may have been a triple-A level. You know, when an infielder came into uh, the professional ranks, he showed right away whether or not he had big league ability. It was up to me then to get it out of him. You know, I may not have been able to get it out of him because he could only go so far, but... You know, you're not going to take an infielder and totally revamp them. That you just can't do. They've got to show you that they've got some kind of skill to begin with. Talk about the importance of conditioning. I know you mentioned that the other day as well. How important is conditioning and fielding? I mean, that's a major point. When I set my programs up in spring training to teach my guys, I set it up in such a way so that it was in progression because I wanted to know that when the teams broke, for the season, that they were going to be in peak performance. I could condition my infielders better than anybody could by putting them in a weight room, and it used to drive me nuts that they would do that. You know, you mentioned earlier in the other session that guys don't run anymore. You know, the fact that they made guys run sprints two days a week, they thought that was really awesome. You know, what I always wanted to do, and I did this with my strength strength coaches, I said, look, we're not running sprints today. And I don't want them in the weight room. I said, let me take them on the base paths and let me do uh, the base running exercise, which is where you, you probably know what it is. You, you get them all at home plate and they'll maybe run the first base and come back home. Then they run a double. Then they come back home. Then they may run a triple. You know, then you get them at second and they run to home. And eventually you make them run all the way around, you know, a home run. Well, that is difficult. I hated doing that. We would do that once in a while when I was, you know, beginning my career and I hated doing it I hated because it was it was tough nobody made anybody work even back then but that was the best conditioner of all and of course I could take my infielders out and I had a couple of drills I call them drills now um, that I used that were also conditioners I could teach them while I was conditioning them so I was killing a lot of birds with you know a couple of movements and it was beneficial. They got better. They liked the work. They liked working hard. They appreciated the fact that they knew I was on their side and that I was really trying to help them. But the conditioning, conditioning aspect, most of the problems that infielders have, like what I was talking to you before about the mistakes that are made in fielding a ball, whether it's a bobbler or misplay or whatever, whatever reason it is that the ball was, was, uh, was bobbled, is because their legs are that strong. 
When your legs are not conditioned properly, you can't do anything. I can't help you. You can't do what I want you to do if your legs aren't strong. I had a young player one year. Uh, he was a first baseman, uh, Jesus Aguilar. You may know that name. Um, he went from the low A level that I had him to an upper level the following season. During the season, they sent him back to me. And I said to him, I said, Aggie, why are you back here? And he said, oh, well, he didn't. Of course, they don't know. So I took him out, and I took him out on the infield, and I started hitting him ground balls. He couldn't field 10 ground balls without huffing and puffing. I said, Aggie, you're out of shape. we got to get you back in condition. So it is such a major point that players have to be in condition. Um, I don't think anybody really knows when they are in their best condition. You know, I think you look at your big league players. Uh, these guys, of course, understand that, and they know what to do. But there's still a lot of guys, I think, that can be helped by having somebody to push them and kick them. I always liked playing for a manager that was tough. Because as much as I thought I could push myself, you know, the, the game itself wears you down. And there's times that you don't want to do some things. Well, by having a tough manager, you knew I better do it or not, you know. Yeah, that's a great point about strengthening the legs because I see that even at the youth level. I see it everywhere. The kids just don't and, – and you're doing it by baseball things, you know, running the bases. It's a simple drill, but it's one of the best drills. And I wanted to uh, – you know, I, I wanted to ask because you played with so many great players, but there's a player I wanted to talk about was um, Burke Campanaris. Um, tell us really what he brought to the game. I think he somehow got lost with all the other great players uh, on the A's. You're, and, you're exactly right. We just had a reunion this past weekend, right, and Campy – of course, was there. It's unfortunate that Campy, you know, speaks Spanish. He can speak English, but because of that, they don't interview him like they did, you know, Reggie and Tennis and, and Bamboo and all these other guys, you know, which is unfortunate. Campy was a slight catcher out of Cuba when he first signed. He came to spring training. He was a catcher. Um, Campy became a shortstop, uh, I think primarily because uh, in 1964, I had to do my army duty, so I missed spring training. And they needed a shortstop at AA, and I was probably ticketed for it. But I came out, I missed spring training, so I didn't get that position. So they made Campy the shortstop in Birmingham in AA. And that's how his career began. And he was the spark plug, you know. I mean, he was, he was the guy that lit the fire for our club for all those years. You know, good, tough hitter. One of the things about Campy, when we got in the playoffs or the World Series, you know, guys always got up to that. But Campy was the one guy that I always noticed. I always noticed that he kind of elevated his game. And it was very visual that he did. You know, everybody else, of course, was fired up and doing the best they could. But Campy, Campy really got up for it, you know. And you remember even in the playoffs that year, they threw his bat at Timmerman. or I think it was Timmerman. You know, but he was the spark plug that made that club go, you know, great base fielder. And he made himself into a decent shortstop. I mean, I think his first year or so, he made 30 or some errors, but he became a good infielder. He became a good enough infielder to play there every day. And of course, with his offense, um, he was just a spark plug for that club and, you know, led, led us through all those championship years. No, and you also one one other person I want to touch on is uh, again I think he gets a somewhat of a bad rap, but Charlie Finley 
he was really uh, he was way ahead of his time in a lot of ways, wasn't he? Uh, what, what did he I, think, I think Charlie Finley was intuitive. He had a knack to find talent. Now, how did he sign, you know, Catfish and Odom and Bando and Monday and Reggie? And nobody else got to them, you know? I, I don't know that. But he was able to pick up guys as we needed players. He, I always felt that I did what he wanted. I, I, I think he liked, to, liked you to fight him. You know, probably everybody on the club had run-ins with him. And, you know, I had my own conversations with him. And, and I could tell you some things about that, too. But I really liked the guy. I learned a lot from him. I had some conversations with him that were just great. And he, and he was really a good guy. But he knew what he wanted to do. And he went out and he did it. Uh, but he got that talent. But he also, I think, understood makeup. Because the guys that he put on his club had the heart to play the game in a way that I don't know other guys can really understand. The guys that were on those three teams, uh, our three championship teams, I always say, and I, I told them the other day, you know, I told them, I said, every one of you guys was a leader in your own right. So we had a question and answer period, and some one fan asked us, um, what player on the club was an inspiration to you? Well, I answered the question. I said, there was nobody that inspired me, and I don't think anybody inspired anybody else in this club, simply because we had 25 guys that were their own man. They knew what their job was. They went out and did it every day. Nobody had to ask them what to do. Nobody had to tell them what to do. They just did it, and they did it day after day after day and year after year after year. It was amazing. That group of guys was just amazing. I, you know, uh, Guys will say, well, we, we were on winners and everybody was terrific. But this group of guys was unbelievable in my mind. I've been on some other clubs that were pretty good. But this this group of guys was like a family that, like no other. It was amazing. Dave, I'm sorry. i got to ask one more simply because I just finished the book Southern yeah. League. And, um, you know, Blue Moon Autumn. And, and I think when you talk about these guys all being – you know, they, they motivated themselves. A lot of you guys, you know, they came from tough backgrounds and, you know, had to work hard to get where they wanted to go. And, and you know, getting to the majors and making that money at that time was unbelievable. But Blue Moon Odom, give us a couple thoughts on uh, what and he they all, for money. They all had arguments with him for money, right? I yes. Mean, he told me one day he got, he, got, he got cut. You know, we all got cut. I mean, going to arbitration with Finley, when I sat in there in arbitration, he didn't do it to me. He did it to Bando and the other guys that went into arbitration with him. He just told the arbitrator that nobody could play. He said, I couldn't hit. I couldn't feel. I shouldn't even be in the big leagues. We walk out of the room and he puts his arm around me. He says, don't believe anything I said. You know, that just, just business. Well, okay, that's business. Right. But Blue Moon Odom, I'll tell you a little story about Moon. Threw a hard, heavy sinker. And as an infielder, of course, there were times I had to put on pickoff plays. I hated doing it with Moon because all I wanted to do was catch the throw. I wasn't worried about tagging the guy. It was so difficult to catch. But he was just a competitor. I mean, you could put him out there anytime, just like the other guys. I mean, he just he just did his thing. But that heavy, heavy sinker, I mean, you knew where to play it, play guys, because that sinker was gonna bore in on right handers. They couldn't do anything but pull it. Amazing. Like that. No, those are great, great questions. Uh, 
Ted, I want I wanted to touch on one more thing with you. You were very candid with me talking about the preparation you put in to become a player, and, and obviously you worked your rear end off and, and are self-made. There was a period of time in the bigs when you came up where you were continuing to put that work in, but there was inactivity in terms of you being able to compete on the field. And oh, yeah. talk a little bit about that. I mean, there's yes. preparation and competition you need in order to develop. And talk about the, how that affected you. Yeah, I, um, you know, I spent six years in the minor leagues. I played shortstop, only shortstop. I never played another position in those six years. And during that time, like what I've been telling you, I mean, by the time I got to AAA, I don't think I could have been any better as a shortstop. Now, I don't know how good I might have been if I had regular playing time in the big leagues. But I was ready to be a big league shortstop. In my mind, I was going to be the Kansas City shortstop, regular shortstop. Well, that didn't materialize. You had Campy there ahead of me, okay? And he, rightfully so, rightfully so. So I had to sit on the bench for three years. And, and the three-year period was the three years before Finley traded me. So in those three years that I was sitting on the bench, I mean, every day I did as much work as I could to try to keep myself ready. Uh, my pregame workouts, I would get them to, I, I guess I would call it to a peak or as much of a peak as I could get them to, to make it feel like I was in a game. But the problem with that is it doesn't matter how much work you do pregame like that. Until you get on the field and you're you're making your moves on more than a hundred pitches in a game, and you're 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 dealing with the intensity of the game and the pressure of the game, your body hurts for a couple of days until you get acclimated to that again. So for those first three years, I felt myself losing my ability, and I hate to say that, but I was always honest with myself. And I knew when I got traded, Finley called me. Um, it was about 11 o'clock at night. Uh, my wife and I and the kids had just come into the house. I think it was around Christmas time, actually. Or it might have been New Year's Eve. Called me 11 o'clock and told me that he traded me to Seattle. My very first thought was, terrific, but I don't know what kind of a shortstop I'm going to be anymore. And I got worried about it. I never was the same shortstop. Um, I had worked myself to the point where I, did, I didn't have to think. I could move for the ball before the ball was hit because of the way I read swings. And I knew hitters. And I knew our pitchers. All you had to do was watch where the location of a pitch was going to be. And you kind of had an idea where the ball was going to go. Well, then you adapt that to the player swinging the bat. And you got a clue as to where the ball was going to be. Well, I had lost that ability. I had to then, when I was in Milwaukee, because I went to, got traded to Seattle, of course, the team went to Milwaukee. I never played in Seattle. We went through that um, bankruptcy period with, with the team. I had to tell myself what to do when I was at shortstop playing in Milwaukee. I, I, had, lost, I had lost everything that I had taught myself. And it was so frustrating. So frustrating. I had enough skill to get by. I played that year. I only I only missed two games that year, which at least proved to me that I belonged in the big leagues. But I was never really happy with myself as an infielder. And of course, never having played second base, I had to learn to play second base. 
I never made a double play. I never knew how to turn a double play, but I survived. I had enough ability to stay there for the number of years that I did. Yeah, I was going to say, Ted, uh, you, you, you were a little hard on yourself because, uh, you know, look at what you accomplished. Did you ever look back at those days and say, maybe I didn't know? You know, you know everybody will tell you that, I think, Kevin. I think everybody will say that. You know, I wish I was easier on myself. But when you look back on it, if I was easier on myself, would I have even had enough skill to stay there? You never know that. Exactly, exactly. You're I so agree. afraid of losing your job. I mean, even in my book that you read, I said, I, you know, I wasn't the family man I, I wanted to be maybe because I was so concerned about being up emotionally. Whenever we got a day off during a season, I couldn't believe how I deflated. You know, I didn't have to be emotionally up anymore. You don't realize that what you what you what what you're doing to yourself every day by being at the ballpark, and I think all the players do that. Maybe they don't realize it, but it affected me, you know. And yeah, maybe I could have been easier on myself. Maybe not easier. Maybe smarter. Okay. Maybe a little more belief in the ability that I have. But again, you know, you got guys behind you all the time who are trying to take your job. You know, and, and that you, era was a much different era. Like, if oh you, my God, if you, yeah, you're trying to survive, you know. Yeah. You know, just getting to the big leagues back then was an accomplishment. You know, nowadays, I mean, back then, I think I heard 3% of the guys that signed got to the big leagues. Only 1% stayed long enough to get a pension. Nowadays, wow. in my mind, there's probably 20 to 25% of the guys that signed get to the big leagues. And maybe 10 or 15% of them at least get some kind of a pension. Because they now get something from day one. It's just a different game, you know. It's totally different. Yeah, I think I think when you just so the audience knows that Ted, you spent ten years in the big league, so it tells you how hard he is on himself when he says use the word survive. Ten years is a is a wonderful career. A lot of people would uh, would love to have that, and and you're certainly a treasure in the game. I just have one more question for you, and I, I really want you to talk about your your books and your website too. But to talk about, tell the audience a little bit about your first day as a manager when you got that call. <laughs> you remember. Okay. Um, I had been out of the game for 12 years before I got back in it again, right? So I was going to manage the half-season club for the Oakland A's in Medford, Oregon. When camp, when spring training broke, I had no place to go until June. So Carl Keel, who was the farm director at the time, told me to just go around to the, the different clubs and get a feel for everybody. So while I'm doing that, one day he calls me up and I was already up at Medford, um, you know, working with the club. He calls me up and he said, look, I need you to go into AAA Tacoma and handle the club for a couple of days because Brad Fisher, his wife, Brad was the manager, his wife's having a baby and he's got to go home for a couple of days. Well, I, I didn't, I had no clue how to manage a club. I'd never done anything, even at an amateur level. So I go up to Tacoma, and I'm nervous as hell. I don't know what to do. I've got guys in that clubhouse that are ex-major league players, right? So opening night, I stood at the dugout. I stood on the dugout steps, and I'm just looking out on the field, the game starting, and I literally said to myself, I'm not sure I can do this. There is so much that you have to be aware of as the manager. And I didn't even know at that time, but yet I knew there was going to be an awful lot I had to learn. So I got through it. I was not only there for a couple of days, I wound up having to stay there for two weeks because Brad's wife was having complications. 
Well, I must have done okay because we still maintained our first place position. But it was quite an experience, quite an eye-opener, and quite a way to begin my managerial career. But I'm telling you, when I started managing, I had no clue. I mean, I learned so much over the years. It was it was incredible. I love managing. We, we can Again, we're talking to Ted Kubiak, and you can just tell his love for the game, his, his thoughtfulness and deep thinking of the game. And also, uh, you know, I, I want to. I have one last question because I live in St. Augustine, about twenty miles from Palaka. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I want to ask it. Tell everybody what it was like to play in a ballpark uh, in Palaka, uh, Florida. I think it was called Rose Stadium, and uh, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's, that, it's just, that place is lucky to be standing. I don't know. I've never seen a more dilapidated, dilapidated stadium than that. When we first went in there. The stadium had a little hill in left field that the left fielder had to navigate. Center field was, um, had a little bit of a dip in it. If you stood at home plate and looked at your center fielder, you saw him from about the knees up. The lighting was so bad, and it was all focused on home plate. When I was at shortstop, I swear to God, I had to squint to watch the ball coming off the bat. I was literally afraid I wasn't going to see it. And all of the fields back then were just pebble-filled. They had stones and all of that. But Palatka was um, Palatka was probably the worst stadium of all. It was an interesting ballpark. Um, they could have used all the cars to line up in the outfield to turn their headlights on to get some, get some better lighting there. But it was an extremely difficult ballpark in which to play. That's for sure. Yeah, and the, uh, I don't know if you heard earlier, but we were talking about playing to your environment, and I, I'll leave you with this, Ted. Uh, you you had to adjust all the time, right? That that's what I'm talking about, playing to your environment. It's a, it's a different world. Yeah, every 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 time I walked into a stadium, I looked at the configuration, and I walked out on the infield. I wanted to know what I was dealing with. And we talked before about Birmingham, right? And Birmingham was a big stop for all of us. Uh, a lot of the guys in the big league club, of course, went through Birmingham. Well, the Birmingham infield was full of, full of mushrooms and dandelions and clumps of dirt. And the, the infield dirt itself was full of pebbles and rocks. Wow. I spent more time throwing rocks into out into the outfield than I did, you know, fielding ground balls, I think, sometimes. But you just dealt with things like that. You know, that's the way the infields were back then. You, you, it was just part of the game and, you know. You know, over the weekend, we're in the Oakland Coliseum, and that whole field now is like a carpet. You know, Dick Green and I and Gino, were, were, they had us out on the field, you know, for part of the ceremony. I mean, that field was like a carpet. We talked about Esther in the earlier session. I mean, these guys don't, these guys that are in the low minors now, in the lower levels, their ballparks are unbelievable. They have no idea how good they got it. No idea. Exactly. We uh, we could. I'll, I'll hand it over to Dave now. But you know, you know, Ted. I uh, one of the great things about um, you know what I'm doing now is to get to talk to people like you. And I think our our listeners, uh, you know, you, you you're just uh, you're just a wealth of knowledge and, and caring about the game. And uh, I hope things continue to go well for you up in Northern California. Thank you, Kevin. Always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, and Ted, thank you. I, I thank both. Ted Kubiak today for coming on and, and my co-host Kevin Kiernan, two baseball treasures. I hope our audience appreciates uh, their talks today and their questions. We all got smarter for it. I also want to thank our 
resident experts, uh, Bull, as we affectionately call him, a longtime scout, professional player and coach, and then Sal Marinello, tremendous performance coach. And our sponsor, one-on-one, does scholarships for deserving young athletes, 541 as of today. Um, And then also make sure that we, we take a look on Amazon. You can find Ted Kubiak's book, Old School. On Amazon, tremendous read. I sat down and did it in one sitting. Thankfully, my neighbor had it and I could borrow it. I tried to keep it, but he, he took it back. Um, also visit Ted on his website, oldschoolmvp.com. And I can't wait for the new fielding book to come out, Ted, How to Field a Ground Ball, aptly titled. Um, it's depth over breadth. And we certainly enjoyed having you on the show today. And we hope you come back um, again. We'd love to have you on. To, we could have you on appreciate it. Thank you very much for inviting me. And I'll send you a copy of that book when it's published. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. Take care, Ted. Please visit. Ted okay, thank you. Care, please visit us. Please visit us on Twitter at David D'Agostin, D-A-V-I-D-D-A-G-O-S-T-I-N. Um, that's our Twitter handle or search Coach and Kernan. Make sure you download us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, or Amazon. Download, share, listen, like, subscribe. Give us five hearts on there. Show us that you love us. We're continuing to climb here. Please make sure you read Kevin's articles on ball9.com and visit him on Twitter, AMBS underscore Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer for a reason. Audience, you're seeing it with the guests that we have on. Kevin, thank you again. I love hosting the show with you. It's one of my favorite times of the week. Um, Enjoy your week, and I look forward to next week. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you. See you, fellas. Take care.